You are listening to the Reality Steve podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the latest info and behind the scenes juice on Rachel and Gabby's upcoming season of The Bachelorette and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to podcast number 289. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Got a great show for you this week. We're wrapping up two shows whose finales were last week, Survivor and Temptation Island. First up, Stephen Fishback, our resident Survivor expert. We're going to recap this season of Survivor. And then the host of Temptation Island, Mark Wahlberg, is going to join us for a conversation talking about how season four of Temptation Island wrapped up. We will get to that momentarily. No new Bachelorette news to report, unfortunately. Nothing new. Haven't heard anything. At least haven't heard anything new or haven't heard anything that I can confirm. Obviously, as I mentioned last week, people are going to start leaving this weekend uh, for Mexico for Bachelor in Paradise. One thing I want you to keep in mind, I mean, we know the big names that are going to be there. It's not like they're going to get there and then end up in a hotel and never get out, but until someone physically walks onto the beach in Mexico, they aren't cast. So there are going to be some people, and I'm telling you people right now, women and men, that you're going to see probably make a hint about heading down there and, and whatnot. All I can say is until they walk on the beach, they're not cast because there have been numerous contestants in the previous seven seasons of Bachelor in Paradise that were flown out to Mexico, put in a hotel room, told they were going to be on the show, and never got on. So I can't tell you who that's going to be this season. I don't have a crystal ball, but it's going to happen to somebody, if not multiple people. It's just the way it works down there. They go down there, they film something, especially if you're arriving mid to late end of the show, because sometimes they're just like, all right, you know, we've got nothing storyline-wise. There's nobody left, you know. You don't need to go on the show and we don't need to bring you on because it's just there's nothing there. But, you know, there's going to be opportunities. And, you know, I think we probably have a good idea. Obviously, not everybody in the initial cast, original cast, OGs, whatever you want to call them. 16 to 18 usually start the show. I It'll be impossible to nail down every single one of them before the show starts. Nobody knows. So once things get going, I'm sure I'll start hearing some things, and I'll be relaying it to you along with anything I may hear about uh, Bachelorette. But um, that's all I got in the Bachelor and Bachelorette world. I'm releasing today's podcast early because I am on a plane to Vegas as we speak, and having the 6th annual fan appreciation party in Las Vegas tomorrow night at Mandalay Bay. It is too late to RSVP. It's why I've been promoting it since March. And tomorrow night it is when the party is. So everyone who's RSVP'd is on the list looking at about 80, I think 82 or 83 are going to be there. And that is pretty much what I wanted. I was thinking maybe I would cut it off around 85. And it looks like we're going to have 80, 82, 83, maybe 84. I got to see. But looking forward to it. It's a good time. 
I think what I'm going to do is at some point during the party, it starts at 8 Pacific time, usually get everyone in, mingle a little bit. Like I said, there's open bar. Then we have a raffle and we take some pictures and whatnot. But I'm sure I'll go live on Instagram at some point and I'll do that and people on the outside, you can check out what's going on at the party and whatnot. And uh, probably during the raffle when I'm giving away prizes and we've got some donations from former podcast guests, Amanda Stanton and Alea Benavides. And we've got gift cards from restaurants at Mandalay Bay. And then I've got some cash prizes to give away as well. So with with a little over 80 people there, I think I'm giving out 10 gifts. So you got a one in eight chance of winning something. How about that? <laughs> and then the other thing being, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. As always, my mom and my niece are going. My niece is 17 years old now. Those of you who've been around for a long time probably remember the days when I used to do a Thursday night live show in the back room at my sister's house when I used to go visit in California and my niece and nephew were on the show. Yeah, she's 17 now, just graduated high school last week, and she sent me a thank you card for giving her her graduation gift. And on the thank you card, this is what it said. You know, it said thank you for the gift. We finna turn up in Vegas this week. Yeah. That's Y-U-H-H-H-H-H. We finna turn up in Vegas this week. Yeah. So if anybody can translate high school dialect to me, I'd appreciate it. Um, I think I know what that means, but it was um, a very big just bucket of water in the face on how much I'm not understanding of some of the teen lingo. Nowadays, hey, we finna turn up in Vegas this week, yeah. So, looking forward to that. Like I said, we're gonna have a few guests this season. This season, well, this yeah, this this year's party. It's almost turning into a Joe Millionaire reunion show with Amanda Pace and Annie Jorgensen and Jenny Alexandra and Martin the Butler. All gonna be at the party, so I'm looking forward to meeting all of them. And looking forward to meeting everybody that RSVP. We've got a few people that have been to parties in the past coming again. I appreciate that. Some people have been, I think, to every party. I have to check on that. I think there's somebody that's been to every party. Oh, this will be the sixth year I've had it. I think someone's been to all six. They're a Vegas local. I think. But, yeah, this is the first party I've had since 2019 because of COVID ruining it the last two years. So that's why I'm excited. Going to be at Mandalay um, early, later today. And hopefully, um, you know, things go well. And everybody that RSVP'd for the party had no problem taking a screenshot of their Vax card. So it is a party where everybody there is vaccinated. And I appreciate that. Nobody really put up any sort of stink. I think they got one email that was like, I want to come, but I feel like, you know, I don't want to give out my private information. And it's like, hey, I respect that. I mean, I kind of scratched my head because your <laughs> your Vax card doesn't have any private information on it. It has your name and your, and doesn't even, it just has your name and your um, birth date, right? Which is something, if I knew somebody's name, I could probably find out their birth date by Googling. But whatever, you know. Um, I, I doubt next year we'll be going to, you know, vaccination status, but obviously I can't predict the future. 
But hopefully next year we can just go back to, hey, it's just first come, first serve, RSVP. You don't need to send me anything in terms of your health status. And we could just go and throw a party again. And um, I can tell you right now, it's probably going to be the first week of June or the second weekend in June. It's usually always that first Friday or second Friday in June. I've just chosen that probably because it's the week of my birthday as well because my birthday was this past Tuesday, May 31st. And I just like having it at the end of that week. And um, it's always been the first Friday in June outside of one year we had it in July. But, yeah, I had a nice uh, birthday dinner at the Olive Garden, if any of you saw that on <laughs> on my Instagram stories. Good times. You can never go wrong at the Olive Garden. And it's basically become a tradition at this point for me to have my birthday dinner at Olive Garden. It's just the way it it's turned into. I think it's been the last three or four years I've gone there for my birthday. So, um, yeah, everybody who's coming, really appreciate it. Can't wait to see everybody. And everybody, if you're interested in seeing what it's like or where it's at, just keep it tuned to my Instagram. I'll probably go live somewhere in the 9 o'clock hour is my guess. Maybe 9.15, 9.30 Pacific time. I'll have my niece get on my phone and, and record live. So, with that said, let's get going. We've got two guests for you this week, wrapping up two shows that had their finales last week, Survivor and Temptation Island. First up, Podcast 289, Stephen Fishback. Okay, here he is. Um, you know him from Survivor Token Chains, also Survivor Second Chance. He's the host of the Know-It-Alls podcast. We bring him on twice a season uh, to talk about Survivor. Um, it is our resident Survivor expert, Stephen Fishback. Stephen, how you doing? Steve, uh, I'm doing great. It fills my heart with uh, glee every single time you call me your resident survivor expert. Well, you are because you know more about this show than I've. Uh, you've probably forgotten more about the show than I even remember. But um, I want to. I want to start out with this season. Obviously, that just ended last week, season 42. I've got a burning hot take, and I want your opinion on oh, it. Oh wow! So, okay. Mary Marianne, our winner, Otech. Um, I don't think that she was the best player this season. I wouldn't even put her in the top three or four. But with that said, I thought she deserved to win. What are your thoughts? I, I love that take. Hey, I'm, I'm right there. I'm right there. I mean, I, I stay away from, from things like the best player because it just, like, gets so hard to talk about what's a, who's a good – like, what's the best player of Survivor, you know, isn't almost definitionally someone who wins Survivor the best player. But I, I, I agree with you that, you know, she's probably not the most strategic player of the season. You know, she wasn't driving the game – or masterminding votes like Omar was, sorry, Omar was, or uh, like High was. Um, you know, she she didn't have as dominant a force as someone like Drea did. But you know, she made her case that she was thoughtful and aware and strategic the whole season. And I agree. I mean, she had a phenomenal final tribal council performance yeah. like one of the all-time best ever and i think honestly for that alone she deserves the win well i think if you remember on the after show when jeff asked hey who came into the final tribal undecided i think most of them of the jury rose their rose their hand and it was clearly marianne's basically saying at six i knew i was getting to three because i had this in place this in place and this in place so i was getting to three no matter what. And I think that strategy there that clearly nobody in the jury seemed to even think Marianne had any sort of clue out there. 
that seemed to be what won them over, and that's why she won seven to one. And I think too, you know, pulling out that hidden immunity idol that she didn't even need to play because Mike played his idol for her. You know, that was such a powerful move where, you know, it almost was, you know, there's, there's a world where someone could do the exact same thing and it wouldn't have as much resonance. You know, they could say, oh, hey, and I had this idol I didn't even need to play. And that would be, you know, fine. And hey, good for you. But she turned it into this theatrical moment of, you know, I've got the one secret in the entire game. And here it is. And she really sold it. You know, she told a story. I mean, what, 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 um, what I and my I co-host for the Know It All Drops, Sister Nino, says, you know, is you really have to tell the jury a story about why you deserve to win. And she told them an incredible story that, you know, showed her being strategic. You know, she, she explained why they might, you know, she kind of undersold her strategy earlier in the season as some of the younger contestants were voted off immediately for seeming too strategic. So she says, well, I downplayed my strategy because of that. And, you know, what's great about Marianne too, she's such a big character. You know, she had so much, even if she'd been the first person off, she would be memorable. You know, she had so much joy. Everyone loved her smile. They, you know, loved how much enthusiasm she brought to the game. And so for her to win, it's just such a, a great journey. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the other thing is, you know, I, well, before we get to the edit part of it, I want to I want to talk about like I said, I thought she was maybe third or fourth, possibly even you can make a, a fifth. Let's just say let, let's give Romeo his credit for winning that final um final immunity and yeah. gu- guaranteeing himself final 3 cuz I don't think anybody thought in a million years he would have won that. And by the way, that seems to be like is that going to be the new norm? Like that is the ball rolling down the thing, whatever it's called, the some what whatever what's it called? The name Some motion. Is that? Do you think that's going to be the now final three or final four tribal council? I mean, a final four immunity challenge. I don't think so. I think they'll mix it up. Okay. I, mean, I think that's a great one. You know, they used it three or four times. The first time actually was in my first season in Token Sheen. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was the original loser of that of that <laughs> challenge. Um, I can't believe I can't believe whoever lost on the on one ball. Who lost on one? <laughs> no, that was. Um, how can you how can you drop on one ball? I don't get it. <laughs> was in and out of his hands too I mean, yeah well i rewatched it because i couldn't believe it either and, yeah uh, it was in his hand and then he just slipped yeah i mean so okay so it's not going to be but I, I think when we get to this final three of romeo and mike and and marianne um that's why i said i she deserved to win in that final three now my right. question becomes to you if if it's romeo marianne and Lindsay. Does Lindsay right. beat Marianne? I mean, everyone says yes. That's what's so hard. I mean, yeah. you, know, you mentioned the edit, and that's what's so hard when you're watching this show. You know, typically, this is maybe getting really inside baseball really quick. Um, the first person out in the finale often has a slightly more invisible edit than the other characters. Now, that wasn't true last season with Ricard, who was a huge character. But Typically, the person, if there's five people in the finale, then the fifth place finisher, if there's six people in the finale, in the final episode, you know, then that person, they're almost under edited in a way where we don't see as much of them. And part of that is because the show can't really spend as much time on their exit. So we don't see their story as much. Hmm. And 
I felt that acutely with Lindsay. In fact, I was basically wrong about all of my predictions in the season. I thought Marianne was going to be a losing finalist. But the one thing I had pegged very early was that Lindsay was going to be the fifth place finisher because she was so weirdly under edited compared to how much everybody talked about, you know, what a force she was and what a, you know, how much, you know, she was impacting the strategy. So it sounds like Lindsay would have beat Marianne. Now, who knows, right? I mean, yeah. they might have, you know, Marianne seemed to have a lot of really wonderful warm relationships and you know maybe she could have you know if Lindsay had a subpar tribal council performance and marianne had that same epic performance maybe she could have sold them uh you know on that too i i'm actually surprised with the number of people who said they were coming in planning to vote for mike because my working theory is that people really do know who they're going to vote for mm. and if she i mean you know it's so rare to change one juror's mind let alone five or six like Marianne did. But then like, you know, her final tribal performance was one of the best ever and was really like, I think a lesson almost for every future player. The other one I want to say is Omer. If he was in the final three with Marianne and, and Lindsay or Marianne and, and Romeo, he would have won. But then again, I mean, it was Marianne's gameplay that got rid of him, right? Wasn't she the, well, right. So that would, right. So she would be kind of hard, her big signature move. But the interesting thing about Omer is, you know, in a lot of the, post-show edits or post-show interviews. And I try to avoid them during the season because they're always, um, you know, filled with spoilers kind of inadvertently almost, but uh, people didn't seem to know what a game Romeo, I'm sorry, um, that Omer was playing. Um, and people didn't have, seem to have an awareness that he was masterminding as many moves as he did. Now it's possible that he would, you know, be able to tell them at the final tribal and I did this and I did that and I did this. And he seemed to be, you know, he was a, you know, a great confessionals, and I, I'm sure he was a great speaker. Um, and maybe they would be con- convinced of that. The other danger with Omer is that it seemed like a lot of people really saw him as a confidant, and I think some of them were really betrayed by him. It sounded like Drea was really, like, personally betrayed by him in a way that, you know, maybe was beyond, "Hey, you got me." And I think that's the danger of playing a game like Omer did play, where you're switching back and forth between alliances, is people feel really hurt by that. You know, it's one thing if the person who's gunning for you and you're gunning for them and they take you out, you know, they got you. That's like all fair. But if your ally, who you've been counting on, who you're telling your secrets to, you know, tricks you, that that can sting a little bit. And I've been in that situation. And I know, like, you know, you, you might be able to respect them for having outplayed you, but you're also looking for a reason not to vote for them. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 why I love this game. I love the social experiment of it. And I love the fact that the people that you vote out, who you ultimately are probably upsetting, are the ones that are determining your fate in the end. And that's why it's such a great game, and it'll always be a great yeah. game. And I hope it never ends. Um, we, we you mentioned briefly about the edit, and I wanted to talk about the edit real quick because I'm terrible too on the edit. In the first few episodes when I saw how much attention Marianne was getting, I didn't know what that meant. I was like, well, certainly she's not going to win because they're giving her so much time. And not to mention her just naive, like not naivete, but like she was, she's obviously a fan of the game, but it was almost, it was just almost too much. It was in your face. It was, but she was just this character that I was like, are they just showing her because she's great TV or are they showing her for a reason? And I didn't know. And then as we got towards the second half of the season, basically after the merge, I was convinced Lindsay was going to win because I thought it was another Erica edit. I thought, okay, right. you know, 
nowhere to be found in the first five to seven episodes, but then comes to the second half and Lindsay was probably getting as many confessionals as anybody else because she was doing well on the challenges. She was a threat to everybody. People were talking about her and I'm like, oh, she's going to be the second half, you know, steal this game away like Erica last season. But again, I got fooled and <laughs> ended up not being her. So it's it's really confusing. And these editors have such a like there's there's us watching at home and then there's what the editors have to do to sell us without giving it away. And I think you can make a case for. Like, I don't even know if I ever thought Mike was going to win just based on gameplay and edit. He obviously got a lot of time. We knew who he was. A lot of confessionals. A lot of gameplay stuff that we saw involving Mike. But I really thought in that back half, oh, Lindsay's coming out of the woodwork and is going to steal this thing away because she's going to be this force at the end of the game that nobody can stop. And it ended up not being the case. Well, I'm right there with you, especially vis-a-vis Marianne um, in her early episodes. It wasn't just that, you know, they showed her a lot. They specifically focused on how annoying she was. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, they had other people talking about how annoying Marianne was. I, I'm not saying she was annoying. I'm saying, like, there was a whole thing with that tribe, the Bati tribe. Um, Bati? Uh, no, no. Um, I like, you know, which tribe it was. Whatever. It was that tribe. Yeah. <laughs> Marianne's tribe. Um, and... They had a whole thing about all the other, you know, um, uh, Lindsay and Jonathan, you know, talking about how they found her annoying. And we've never seen that. Or or if we have, like, certainly not in many, many years where they have focused on the negative qualities of a winner. Uh, and so I thought there was no way she was winning because they wouldn't show us that and they wouldn't portray her in that light. But I actually was really heartened by it. It was really exciting for me because I had found, you know, as someone who does watch the edit closely – that the show was getting a little bit predictable. You know, whoever got this one heroic confessional about their family in the first episode, you know, you could almost guess, right, you know, that they were going to win. You know, um, Wendell had a confessional very in the first episode of his season where he talked about, you know, how he was made furniture and how making furniture was going to win in the game. And Tommy had a confessional in his first episode of the season. He won we talked about being a school teacher and how, and just there was like this one, this, this really, this arc that they were using again and again, where the winner would sort of talk about their person, their, their home life and how that home life was going to translate to the game. And they would, you know, have this narrative of mixing the personal and the strategic. We would never see them do anything wrong. We would never see them, you know, get angry. We'd never see them be dumb. We'd never see them, be kind of kooky and you know having been out there myself you know having seen two people in the game um i saw how some of the complexity of those people was washed away in the edit where they just became these you know fully heroic characters of the show rather than the multi-dimensional people they are and so one thing i loved about marianne's edit was how it did show us some of her weak moments it did show us her not you know her being out of the loop it did kind of, you know, show us some of her, you know, like um, lesser qualities, even as it showed us, you know, the the wonder her wonderful qualities. And so I felt like by the end we had such a, a rich, full portrait of her in a way that we really never have um, with a winner before. Which so not only did it give us, I think, like more of more of her, it also made it harder to predict. And that that to me is really fun. Interesting point. Yeah, I never looked at it that way, but that is that is a good point that very rarely do you see the warts of the winner. Yeah. And there were a lot of people that were calling her annoying. Jonathan wanted her out because he felt like she was just 
dead weight there. I think once the merge hit her and Romeo and one other person were basically just at the bottom, everyone else was running the game and she was just there. Um, but always, you know, always with a smile on her face and Jeff pointed it out all the time. It, yeah, yeah, it was, it was definitely an interesting edit for a winner. I don't think we've seen anything like it. Um, you know, one thing that they referenced a lot this season, you and I have talked about it in the past is the fact that they're almost breaking the fourth wall a lot of times. I mean, Jeff looking into the camera and telling us, Hey, you know, these people haven't seen season 41. They have no idea. I like that stuff. I like the fact that they're acknowledging it, but now here's the interesting thing. 41 and 42, obviously were filmed back to back. So 42, this cast that just, we just saw finale last week did not see any of the chat. They knew nothing about knowledge of power and the scroll, you know, the, the dice game and all this stuff that I, I'm forgetting the names on, but they, yeah, the they, do or die, do or, or die the, the shot in the dark. Yeah. yeah so. They didn't know any of that. So, okay. It made sense, but now 43 and 44, well, 43 has already been shot, right? Cause we saw the previews. Um, I'm assuming it's over and they're I either they're in- shooting. They're filming 44 now, I think. Okay. So 43 is already done. We saw, we saw plenty of confessionals and in the teaser for the season, uh, at the end of the finale on during the after show. And, um, you know, we're, we, we are going back. This is a new game. It's now a 26-day game or 29. What is yeah. it? 26? 20, 26. Yeah. Okay, so it's a 26-day game. We know this. However, 43 has now watched at least they saw season 41 and probably a little bit of 42 before they left for filming. So now I don't think – I got to believe some things just can't be done. Uh, the long walk where people head off and decide if they want to – keep their vote and risk it. Everybody knows what that long walk's going to consist of now. Um, <laughs> yeah, the yeah. prisoner's dilemma, like that's got to be gone, right? The phrase that, you know, three people have to say in an immunity challenge. There's no way they can yeah. use that for 43. You wouldn't think, right? Well, on the other hand, people, you know, there's a lot that people say at these challenges that you just sort of, yeah. clean out. but I agree. I agree at that point. Um, you know, you are, they're going to be on the lookout for it. I think, I think you're probably right. I think, my understanding from interviews I've read with Jeff is that, you know, there's some stuff that they're going to try to keep. I think they're going to keep shot in the dark, which is that, you know, the one in six chance of, of being safe, which hasn't worked, um, which hasn't worked yet. I don't think anyone's got it right? yet to work. Yeah. But it was played. It was played a lot more in, this season. Um, yeah. You know, this season than, than in last season. Um, and I think they're going to, you know, do away with a lot of the other stuff. You know, I hope they do away with that prisoner's dilemma. I don't think we've seen, I don't think Jeff's weighed in specifically on that. That to me, I really disliked it. I found that to be dead weight. Watching it was just so boring. Okay. It's a long walk. We get it, you know? Um, and I didn't really think it added very much. Maybe others will, will disagree. Uh, but, but um, yeah. And, and, you know, I hope they get rid of the, uh, the hourglass twist, but they might not. That's something they might keep and use again. Um I hated that. I think most of the fans hated that. You know, they didn't really see how much the fans hated that. Uh, what? what you, you, you're, you hated that too, right? The hourglass. Yeah, I just, I don't. I'm not a huge fan of it. No. And then, and then, what's the yeah. thing? What's the thing that saved Lindsay this season? That also saved somebody last season that I'm already forgetting. Yeah, the do or die, where they, um, it was like that was the money hall problem, where because they were first out of a challenge, they yeah. had to immediately play this game of chance at tribal council. And, you know, that was what ended up being one of the most exciting tribal councils of the season. That was the tribal council where Omer took Mike's idol so that when Drea played the knowledge is power advantage, she 
tried to steal Mike's idol and couldn't because it was an Omer's possession. Um, but, you know, if Lindsay had gone out, you know, through this like random dumb game of chance, that whole tribal council would not have happened. So it ended up being one of the high points of the season, but only because this twist didn't work. You know, so I really hope they do get rid of it. It seems it doesn't, again, like something that doesn't really add a lot to the show and, and almost meaningfully detracted from the show. Yeah, I think that there's just a lot of things, and I guess we won't know, obviously, until September rolls around and 43 starts airing exactly what they kept in and what they took out. But because I, they were able to get away with it in 41 and 42 because it was after COVID, year and a half they hadn't been on, they decided to reset some things, and yeah, 42 couldn't have known what happened on 41, so you could repeat it. But now that 43 is already filmed, and they filmed, I believe, in April, before they left, they had watched all of 41, I'm assuming, yeah. and they had left, and right. they had watched from February until they left of 42. So you know what the long walk represents. You know the, you know, the dice game. I, I, I just, I, the phrases, I, you know, I forget the name, what they're calling it, but when three people can read it at a, there's no way that it would seem impossible to leave that in there because the second anyone says a line about something about plants and rabbits and whatever, um, it's, it's, it's just going to be way too obvious. I think yeah. they're going to be like, okay, she's got one third of it. Who are the other two? They're going to say something stupid here, you know, but they might do something similar where, you know, you have to take some kind of risk in order to activate your idol. Yeah. And I did like that aspect of the last two seasons where, you know, the game was kind of getting carried away with how many different crazy superpowers they were giving the players. And this last couple of seasons, it seemed like every superpower really came with a meaningful drawback. So, you know, you really had to ask the question of whether you wanted to, you know, use something because there was going to be, you know, there was going to be some risk to you. Did I not remember correctly or were there not a lot of ton of idols that were found this season? Not a lot. No, I mean, that's it. That, like, you know, there was going crazy. I mean, there's, you know, one on each camp and then there was the one merge on. Um, so uh, let's see. I, Marianne had one. Um uh, Mike had one, and then I think Drea had the other one. That's right. I think that's right. Like, and then, um, and then, and then, um, you know, Marianne found the merge idol. So that was. And, and to be fair, Lindsay's um, oh god, amulet became an, an idol. idol, but that was only after um, the, the other two Hi were Drea eliminated. Had been eliminated. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I mean, <laughs> when you start counting, that's like six things. But still, it, did, it didn't feel like as crazy as some past seasons had where there's just, you know, it seems like, you know, there's idols every tribal council being being played. And, and the fact that people, you know, knew where the idols were, I, I, that to me adds a lot where, you know, other than Marianne's idol, which really was a secret, you know, one of the big things of this season is people, you know, there people know what you have and you need to hide that as much as possible. And I think that is, to me, that's more fun. I like it when the players know what's out there and they can play around it. I, I didn't like it in kind of the back half of the 30s where something crazy would appear and nobody would have had any awareness of it. And, you know, and then there's no way to create a strategy if it's just random things happening all the time. And then you've gotten the people that have complained in the past, like every time an idol is used, another one's put back in play, and then all of a sudden someone's, you know, searching through a forest uh, and they find it. And people complained <laughs> about that, that it's like, oh, my God, another idol is being found. It's uh, yeah. how are they yeah. finding this idol in the middle of nowhere? How would they even know where to look? And then there's that whole debate on how easy and or hard it is to find an idol that's just placed in the middle of nowhere. 
you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't know. I, even though they, even though like, you know, Russell was famous for finding them and other people have been famous for finding them. I, me at home watching on TV, I don't understand how any of them have ever been found. Like you're in the jungle and it's a little piece of paper. Like there's gotta be some sort of clue that we don't know that people are like, how would you even have a clue on where to look? And I granted, I know there's a ton of downtime and I know that there's, but if you get away from your camp and you're out by yourself for two hours, people are going to be suspicious. So I just don't know how anybody finds an idol. It seems, yeah, I mean, that's, oh, go ahead. it seems hard. It seems almost impossible. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, you know, looked for idols somewhat unsuccessfully in my time and that's the issue. It's, you know, you're in the jungle and you know that it's going to be in like a significant tree, you know, you know, it's going to be in something that looks meaningful but everything looks meaningful. You know, like you're like, well, that those three trees together, like that could be a cluster. Oh, like that one kind of looks like it has arms. Maybe it's there. But ultimately, I mean, over time you do, you do kind of, you know, the camps are not that big. You know, they are walkable. There's a limit to how big the camp is. So, you know, it's a lot, but it's not, it's not truly limitless in the way that if you were just like in the middle of the woods, um, you know, it would be basically impossible. And I will say, um, you know, in Cambodia, which was my last, the last time I played, Jeremy found this idol in a tree. And when I went looking for the idol, I went right to that tree. You know, that tree <laughs> looked like it had an idol in it. And he, I couldn't find it there because he had already found it. But, um, you know, there's, there's trees that, that are, you know, idol, idol looking trees. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess so. Having never played, it's, it's tough for me to say, but just sitting on my recliner watching the show, it really looks like it's very difficult to find one when you have no clues whatsoever. Like the clues where it's like, hey, we're the, we're the C parts and, uh, you know, okay, I can get where people can figure out stuff like that. But when it's just, I'm desperate, I need to go find one, and then they just happen to find one, it's like, and nobody directed them anywhere. Nobody said, hey, maybe look over, like, I don't know. It's just I mean, let me really tell hard. you, it's a lot of looking. Like, I, I mean, to be fair, I didn't find it was already gone, but I spent hours and hours looking for, like, I would get up early in the morning. I would go out, you know, the, the producer would send whichever like assistant producer she hated the most. Cause you know, it was like, like some like mosquito infested woods, you know, and I would look in every tree, you know, you, 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 there's, there's, it's a lot of work and you know, you only see the payoff, but you know, the contestants who find these things, they are putting in the work. Well, I know you got to run, but I, I wanted to end with this one last thing, and I know you're going to know the answer to this. And oh, I hope so. God, with that, with that privilege. Yeah, no, it just it's something that I just I totally forgot, and I don't even know where I saw it. But I it must have been I must have been reading probably Dalton's recap for the finale, and a video popped up. I know I didn't go on and stream it on Hulu or anything, so it must have popped up in some sort of video. It was from Survivor Nicaragua, and it was at the tribal council where Kelly and Nayanka quit when there were about 10 people left and this clip popped up and I watched it and I was like, first off, I don't even remember this even happening. I don't remember a girl named Kelly. I kind of remember Nayanka, but can you tell me why they quit? I don't even remember the, 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 the premise for why they quit. <laughs> I just saw this clip and I'm like, okay, I, wow. I don't remember that, but two people quitting at the same tribal council. Why was it just conditions? It was crazy. Well, I- they had had just a terrible rain. I mean, no one thinks this was a good decision. They had had a terrible rainstorm, I guess. And it was, maybe it was maybe they hadn't had bad weather until then, and so they just kind of got waterlogged and were miserable and, and quit. And it was, you know, I'm not defending that because, in fact, 
Uh, at the time, I thought it was horrible. I still think it's horrible. You know, a lot of people were mad that they took two spots on the jury away from people, you know, like the the last juror, I think, was Eve that season. And, you know, like she was, you know, played her heart out. And then for her not to get to be on the jury because these two quit. And I think they actually changed the rules because of that quit where they then just said that if you quit, you're not guaranteed a place on the jury. I think because of the way the rules were prior to that, they had to give them the spots on the jury, mm. but then they changed them because, you know, people were outraged for to see two people quit at the same time. The crazy thing is, I mean, that like that, they were probably going to the final trial council. Um, you know, certainly I think Nyanka was sash who was the uh, third place finisher that season was, he was, that was his plan. And he was kind of like the big strategist of that season, which Fabio ended up winning. But Sash was sort of like the mastermind of the season. And he wanted to go. Like th Those were his two big allies. He wanted to go to the final tribal. So that might have, they, they probably were going to make it all the way to the end. And, you know, Sash very well could have won that season. And I think, you know, that was part of why he wanted to take them to the end was he thought he could beat them. But uh, yeah, it was, um, it's funny that you say you don't remember a girl called Kelly because that actually was a big part of you know survivor lore was she had purple hair um and so everyone called her purple kelly and that was to distinguish her from the other kelly who was on on the, the younger contestants tribe and now you know and, and sort of like maybe because she didn't give great confessionals and maybe in kind of revenge for her not for, for her quitting they dramatically under edited her to the point where she was almost invisible on the show and now when every, whenever there's a character who's under edited on the show, we call it the purple edit, you know, <laughs> to, to say like that, you know, that person's not getting as much airtime. So you, you know, there's every season there's like, Oh, this, there's purple Lindsay or purple whomever. Um, so it's like become part of the, you know, the idioms of survivor. Well, once again, I wanted to test. I mean, I, I knew you knew why they quit, but I pulled up, <laughs> I pulled up survivor Nicaragua on Wikipedia here to see the breakdown. Um, Jill Bem was the eighth person voted out and the last before the jury. Eve was right before her. She was seventh voted okay. out overall. So you were okay. close. So, and Jill, too, is another, like, real super fan character who, you know, really played her heart out. So the idea that, like, Jill and Eve would be, uh, you know, denied the, you know, denied the spots on the jury when it would mean so much to them versus these two uh, who quit, I think, was really, really brought people the wrong way. Do you, do you know who the first jury member on that season was? First juror of this God. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is just like, hey, who was the first jury member on Survivor Nicaragua, which was season twenty or twenty four twenty one, yeah. I'm remember I mean, I remember that he, I got slightly wrong about you. The first juror oh gosh, I feel like I could um I mean it's not Marty because he's he's later. He um, he I could tell you he was second jury member. Second jury. Oh, I was so close. Yeah. Um it was not Eve, it was not Marty. Um Oh my God! Is it? Can you tell me if it's a younger player or an older player? Younger. God, what, was it the other Kelly? No, she was after. She was the first one after. Uh, oh no, no, no! Sorry, Kelly Bruno. No, she was sixth voted out on the show. So she would. She was before okay. Eve. She was right before Eve. She, okay, that's right. I thought she was pretty much, but I'm, I'm, I'm really struggling. It's a younger contestant. Yeah, I couldn't. Uh, even, I couldn't. Even, if you put this person's face in front of me, I wouldn't even know. I mean, I mean, it's not Brenda, right? Brenda was later. Brenda was um, after Marty. Yeah. Oh, man. I don't know. I give up. Alina Wilson? Alina. Right. Of course. Oh, <laughs> I don't Alina. know. Yes. Uh, oh, no. It was uh, very funny. when There's a very funny confessional when Benry votes her out. He calls her a dirt squirrel. 
Nobody really knew what a dirt squirrel was. Um, but uh, it, was, it was memorable. <laughs> yeah, so just for everyone keeping score at home, uh, it went Alina, then Marty, and then Brenda, and, and then Brenda, and then Naonka and Kelly quit. And then the next juries were, were Benry, Jane Bright, Dan Lembo, Holly Hoffman, and Holly, then you got your final yeah. three of Sash, Chase, and, and Fabio. So. I mean, I haven't rewatched it ever, but uh, it was people. People say that that season, you know, that season got a lot of crap at the time. Um, you know, the older versus younger twist really disadvantaged the older tribe, and then they had this twist called the Medallion of Power. Or, yeah. you know, which was so dumb. It sounded corny. You know, it was like it just kind of. But it was a really good cast, and uh, like a lot of really thoughtful, strategic players who were fans of the show. And for that era, you know, like I think maybe we were just glutted you know, because it came right on the heels of, of heroes versus villains which is you know one of the all-time best seasons ever i think people were really down on that season but you know when you compare nicaragua to some of the, the seasons that came right after it um like um south pacific and, and redemption island and you know and, and one world I, I bet it actually holds up pretty well well i mean you know my you you know my thing when i when i love to do breakdowns of voting at the end because we talked about how many blowouts there is up until um, Wendell and Dominic, that was the last close vote was Nicaragua. When, Chase Rice. When Fabio beat Chase by one vote, five to four, and everything else. God, I, I forgot that it was one vote. It's yeah. crazy to think that like, had Chase won, like, it could have totally derailed. Like, he, he might, might have been the best thing that ever happened to him. Because, yeah. like, because, like, you know, after that, he, you know, broke, goes to Nashville, like, you know, sleeping on couches, and then. Lo and behold, like one of the, the biggest country stars in the world. Like if he had won that season, like it might have like ruined his life. Yeah, that season twenty one, that vote was five four. The next close one we had was season thirty six with Goth Island with with Wendell and Dominic. But in between I then, hope. from twenty two to thirty five, we're looking at eight one, six three, seven two, six one one, eight zero, seven one, eight one, five two one, six one one, ten zero, five two, ten zero, seven three, five two one. Like, not wow. even within three votes was the closest. Three. That's wild. <laughs> yeah. That's really wild. All blow up. that's sort of why I think that jurors kind of make up their mind. You know, my experience um, being on the jury was that there's a lot of, like, groupthink that goes into these into these decisions. But this, this, this cast was really great where it felt like there wasn't as much bitterness. And, you know, I'm sure there was bitterness that we didn't see. Maybe, you know, that but, – but it really felt like they were playing hard, but they also were really caring towards each other. You know, they were really respectful of each other, you know, for the most part. Um, and that was really fun to see. So, you know, if, if any cast, you know, had an open vote, you know, where there were people where people truly were willing to be swayed, I would say, you know, this one this one might be it. Well, what was the season, real quick, what was the season where Ponderosa started again? I know Eliza was the first Ponderosa guest. What what season was that? Well, that was well, so that was Micronesia. And that was the season where they started airing it. I mean, oh. I'm pretty sure they had it. Um, they always had it. You know, previously, but I think Micronesia was the first time they actually, you know, put it online. Okay, yeah, because I was just looking at it and I was just like, okay, well, close vote in Nicaragua, close vote in Ghost Island. But I read you those fourteen years in between, all blowouts, and then ever since Ghost Island, we've had seven three, nine four, eight two, twelve four, seven one, and seven one. I mean, six more blowouts. Yeah, I wonder what changed. That's <laughs> interesting. I do wonder what changed. Um, you know, I think the game has become much more self-referential people are maybe people are becoming more aware of the game as a game so it's like less 
who you're friends with and more, you know, there's maybe more abstract qualities that people are judging. I don't know. I mean, we could probably come up with a lot of theories for why that is. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. I'm just looking at it. I'm just like, wow, we've had two close votes since season 21. I mean, uh, starting at season 21, we've had two votes where it was within three and everything else has been really interesting. A blowout. That's 21 seasons. That's half the show, half the show uh, for the last half of this show that's been on the air. We've had two, close tribal council final tribals in in 21 seasons and in the first 21 we had a lot more close ones and i think too you know people um now are much more deliberate about who they go to the finals with you know i think back in the day you know you got there with who you had to get there with you know um but but uh i don't know i'm just making stuff up (laughs) I'm, i'm curious it'd be very interesting to think of like why that is but and and it's not and i'm looking at it it's not like there were ton but there were five there were five tribal, five final tribals between seasons one and twenty that were within one vote, and there was only two in the last twenty-one seasons. So, but the other ones were also, uh, you know, there was a couple five twos. Uh, you know, there was a blowout. Earl obviously won nine nothing, but you know, Todd only beat Courtney four two and one. Um, Parvati beat Amanda crazy. five to three. You know, so. Yeah. You know, yeah. it just seems like it was a lot closer. And like I said, I don't know what you can chalk it up to. I really don't. I don't know if it's just – that's why I asked about Ponderosa because I was thinking, well, maybe because now these people all hang out and talk to each other, they all go into that final trouble going, okay, we pretty much know where we're going with this unless somebody blows us away. But that's not it because, like you said, that happened in um, Micronesia, you said, when it was first televised. That was the first time they – yeah, televised it. But, but it's it, always I been around. always had Ponderosa. I mean, the only one – I don't know if it did in season one. Um, but I think they've basically always had, uh, you know, some kind of holding pen for the, for the contestants. Yeah. It's very, I would hear very fun. I mean, the, one of the great parts about being on Cambodia was getting to play with Kelly Wigglesworth and she would just tell us, you know, it was like a totally different era back in the early days. You know, she would say for challenges, like they have these challenges, they'd go for hours, you know, people who were eliminated would like go back to camp, they'd hang out, they'd like wander over back to the challenge. You know, now it's there. Everything is so, um, you know, so organized, you know, you, there, there's, you know, a, a bulletin board that says where every single person is at every single time, you know? So it's, it's, uh, it's funny just like how, how kind of loose it was at the, at the real beginnings. Well, another successful season. Um, like I said, you're our, you're our expert here. The fact you even knew the names of people who were jury members, one, two, and three in 20 season, 21 is, well, is beyond I me. I annoyed myself because I almost said that Jill and Alina were, I'm sorry. And uh, Eve were the last two. And I didn't say Jill and I, I'm annoyed at myself for not saying, <laughs> um, but, uh, but, uh, well, so I, I got a question for you before, before yeah. you know, what, what do you think of the 26 day season? So, you know, I know you were very anti 26 days, um, last season. Are you, have you come around? Are you still anti? Are you resigned? It's, it's just, it's not that I'm, I guess I'm not anti. I just, I miss the opening montage unless Jeff next season says, you know, 18 contestants, 26 days, one survivor. I don't know. Or is it days first and then the number of contestants, right? Yes. Yeah. It's days first, 26 days. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I seriously, that bothers me. It bothers me that we don't get that at the beginning of the season for the last two seasons. That really upsets me. Um, I want to see him on the side of a volcano or the side of a helicopter saying 26 days, 18 contestants, one survivor. <laughs> um, but that and then I think, like, look, I'm not going to take anything away from Erica and I'm not going to take anything away from Marianne, but. When they're all old and gray and all old Survivor winners are getting together for a Survivor party and they're sitting around 
All the other winners can look at those two and then the, all the winners going forward and just be like, yeah, but we played 39 days. Like, I still, <laughs> I still think they have that over them to where, hey, we, we had to, as hard it, as it was for you guys, we had to be out there another two weeks in those conditions. Like, you might have had two weeks of quarantining, but that doesn't compare. Like, we yeah, exactly. had to play the game for another two weeks. And so, but it, it's a different game. I still love it. I'm still going to watch it. But, and I'm not going to take anything away from the winners because they still have to, and, and they're still getting the same prize. They're still getting the million-dollar prize. But, yeah, there is a part of me that says the previous winners from seasons one through 40 kind of have a little bit of a leg up on Erica and Marianne and everyone going forward. <laughs> well, I, I, it doesn't bother me except when they talk about the timing. You know, they're like, oh, we've been out here so long. It's been three days. Or, you know, like, oh, my <laughs> there's like six people. And they're like, oh, my God, we have two days left. You know, like, how are we going to make it two days? You know, just it's like uh, it, it only bugs me when they're like, you know, oh, my gosh, we're finally merging. It's been an entire week. Yeah. I, I just wish they wouldn't talk about the time at all. Uh, and just let the whole, you know, kind of, because that's to me where, where the, you know, I have trouble suspending disbelief. But yeah. overall, I mean, I didn't really notice it otherwise. I do wonder if it impacts the gameplay at all. Yeah, I, I, I don't like know. It's it's tough yeah. to say. I mean, obviously, things are sped up, and it's almost like they're just, and that's why they're throwing in all these wacky, you know, things and these advantages and stuff like that. But I don't know. It's it's hard. It's hard to tell. I'm not going to take anything away. I wouldn't be able to last one day out in a jungle, let alone 26 <laughs> or 39. So I give them all the credit in the world. And and by the way, for those that are Survivor fans, obviously we know season 43 will come back in September. However, this summer on CBS, they are taking the MTV Challenge and bringing it to network TV. And let's just say that some of our favorite people from Survivor past may be on it. The cast hasn't been officially quote-unquote, announced. But if you look on the internet, you can find which Survivor people are going to be competing on the challenge on CBS this summer. Um, some may or may not be close to Stephen Fishback. And <laughs> and the other thing is, um, a lot of your favorite Big Brother contestants, hell, I think the whole I think the whole cookout's going to be on uh, on big on the challenge this summer, which will really be interesting. I'm I cannot wait for this. I'm really excited to see how this challenge plays out and if they ease up because it's not your regular challenge people from the MTV world and they're taking people from Big Brother, Amazing Race, Survivor, I'm really curious to see if they're going to, not that the challenges are going to be easy, but I want to see if it's going to be, hey, you have to jump from one moving car to another versus... You know, I don't know what, what the case may be. Well, that, the, some of these guys are in their 40s. Yeah. You know? I mean, <laughs> the oldest challenge competitor is, is probably CT, who's, who's just 41. But, you know, that guy's a, you know, that guy's showing his life. I, I can't imagine, you know, someone in their mid 40s doing the, the stunts that they ask for you to do on the challenge. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to see how it plays out. And, you know, when I saw the leaked cast list, I was like, I think it's the, it, I mean, you don't have to, I mean, it, isn't it the whole cookout, or at least five five of them are in it? I honestly don't know. I only okay. say I, I do not watch Big Brother, so I am. Um, oh, you don't? Really ignorant on that subject? No, no. It's just um, I oh. tried one season, but it was it was it was like a, I got too sucked in. There was too okay. much time. So All right. Well, when, when I saw uh, okay, when I saw the leak cast, let's just know that the um, last season's Big Brother um, had the cookout of six African American contestants, and I. I'm almost. I know for a fact four of them are on it, and I think it might be five, if not all six. But 
that'll be interesting. But yeah, I just want to see how it plays out on uh, on network TV because it's the first time it's ever happened, and uh, should be very very interesting. And seeing some of our favorite uh, Survivor players from the past also yeah. compete I mean, will be it's interesting. Like combining two of my favorite shows, so or maybe my two favorite shows. So um, yeah, I'm really excited about it too. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it, man. And uh, we'll have oh, you back you on uh, probably in uh, September or something. Uh, we'll have a great summer, Steve. You too. Happy birthday. Oh, yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, for those that don't know, we started recording this podcast, and then uh, the doorbell rang because someone delivered a gift, and uh, my dog went crazy, so we had to restart. Um, but uh, we're good to go. She didn't bark at all during uh, this recording, so that's good. Um, again, Stephen, thank you so much, man. You're the best. I'll talk to you soon, Steve. Right. Thank you so much to Stephen. Yeah, we had to... We were only about one minute into recording the podcast when uh, I had a knock at the door, which made my dog bark. Luca went crazy, so we had to stop and uh, and start over. But uh, he is he is an encyclopedia when it comes to this show. Um, and you know, good discussion on the finale. If you watched it, very good season. I thought one of the better seasons. I don't know. I mean, I, it's tough for me to rank because I forget most of them. But um, you know, I've watched every episode of every season, and yet I can't. I can't draw trivia answers like that guy can if I, my life depended on it. But thank you so much to Steven for coming on. Appreciate that. And he'll definitely be on again uh, come September when season 43 premieres. So with Steven out of the way, I don't mean to say like push him aside or whatever, but uh, we're, we're having two recaps of shows that just ended. Both ended last, uh, well, this Survivor ended last Wednesday night. Last Tuesday night was our Temptation Island finale. We spoke with um, Jillian and Tommy last week, and now the host of Temptation Island, one of our favorites, Mark Wahlberg, uh, continuing on with podcast number 289. All right, let's bring him in. Uh, He is the host of Temptation Island. Season 4 just concluded last week. It is Mark Wahlberg. Mark, how are you doing? Good to hear from you, Steve. How are you, buddy? I'm good. Um, I, we uh, we had you on, I think it was after the first episode it aired. So we had you on at the beginning of the season. I wanted to do a recap of what happened. So let's start off with this. <laughs> Here we are, a week removed from the finale and reunion show airing, about three months since the reunion show taped. I think I'm still confused on LaSalle's and where he's <laughs> at with... I, I, I heard he went live that night after the reunion aired and I didn't listen to it. So I don't know if he cleared anything up. My guess is no, because he just, I look, I know that you, you know, you never want to criticize these, these people because you consider them your family. And I totally get that. But to your best explanation, can you yes. walk us through what you think LaSalle's issue was? Was it a commitment issue from this guy? Do you think he always, Wanted to break up with Ashley and use the show, but didn't know how to do it. I where do you where do you stand with Lascelles? Where I stand with Lascelles is that you know, I, I mean, I guess a better way to say is not where I stand with him, but what is my take on it? Yeah, what's your take on him? And I'm as confused as all of you are. Okay, good. But I also, as a host and doing the work that I do really try not to judge where people are and I try to meet them wherever they are and try to see whatever point they're trying to make. The question was, I wasn't sure he was making so much of a point. Yeah. <laughs> and I called him, I called him on the things that I thought were out of line. Like when he, in the reunion said, um, you know, I can never trust you again to, um, to Alexa. 
I called him immediately on it. So that's not that's not keeping a secret. That's you know conspiring. It's not uh, trust. That's conspiring to keep a secret. Yeah, you know, and that's not the same thing. So you know, my opinion on where he was with Ashley and what he was saying with Trace is really hard for me to figure out because it was a lot of contradictory behavior. I think there's some growth he needs to do, get clear on what it is he actually wants. I would have been interested to hear what he said on his live after the reunion. But, uh, you know, I, I really try not to judge people from, you know, how they behave because, you know, everybody's learning whatever they're learning when they're learning it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, he. So, just, I mean, he's. But it was confusing to me too. Yeah, he. I mean, he seems like a good guy. He seems like a. I, I just. I never got like he was some sort of monster or anything like that. I just think that he no. didn't know what to say in basically almost any situation. Just really almost went to the extremes for everything. Like telling Trace he loves her and he wants her to be his wife, but then saying, "Hey, but hey, I." I love Ashley. It's like you can't you can't say that to both women. That you could see where that would just confuse the hell out of both of them. Well, my sense a lot of the time, well, not a lot of the time. My sense when you mentioned that and some other things was that there were a lot of words that he was scrambling to say that weren't particularly cohesive, and so he would contradict himself quite a bit. And um, you know, I don't get any vibe other than good guy from him. He's not like evil or malicious it's just i feel like he's you know a little bit trying to please the people he's with and um and not really clear of an authentic intention of what he really wants yeah i think he um you know when we when we find out at the reunion show the post um the post filming hookups with alexa and i can't remember the name of the other girl that you know the the make out sessions at the party or whatever the after party and then going to see Trace, the fact that it happened before he went and actually spent some time with Trace, you know, it it, it does give off a little bit of player vibes that he was just, you know, kind of enjoying this notoriety from the show and the fact that these girls were interested in him, whether or not who who asked who to kiss who is irrelevant at that point, you know. Well, that's what I'm getting at is that, you know, from a, a more mature standpoint, you might say, look, you know, we were all partying and I kissed her, <laughs> you know, and it didn't mean anything more than that or whatever it is. Um, but it, it's just a lot. It was a lot of mixed messages. It was as confusing for me as it was for the viewer, I'm sure. And it looks like and it looks like at this point, Ashley, I believe, has moved on. She's seeing somebody new. I think she's posted with him recently. So it looks like, you know, things have obviously worked out well for her. I mean, I don't know how she feels and she's going to. I hope she doesn't hold like this major resentment towards the cells. Like, why'd you waste seven years with me? I, d- I don't think that was the case, but you know, yeah, it- I, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that time was wasted, but you know, every now and then it takes some sort of catalyst to make change, and this show may have been it for them. And you know, I'm glad Ashley found somebody that she's interested in. That's news to me, and I'm, I wish her the best. I think she's a sweetheart. I think both of them have some work to do as far as getting in touch with how they really feel about stuff and really kind of getting a clear, you know, picture emotionally of what they want. You know, I, I kept saying to LaSalle's, you know, be careful with those words, I love you. You know, those those have a lot more meaning for those of us who have either had it and lost it or have done some exploration. You know what I mean? It's like you don't – those aren't things we throw around, even though I don't think he was doing it to manipulate. I think he feels something in the moment. He says what comes out of his mouth, and, and then it – you know, then he – has a different feeling and says something different. Yeah. So, 
You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's you know, we've all been there, I guess, at some point. At the reunion show, you know, when Trace found out about his hookups with the two other women at the after party or whatever, whatever party it was, you know, she she really seemed hurt by that and almost felt, I guess, felt played like, oh, my God, you did this. And then you came and saw me and whatever. And you and you touched on it with her. Like you said, you know, Trace, you're this is what is making you emotional now is is this. Mm -hmm. What did you gauge from Trace? And like, did you feel sorry for her in the moment? And were you just like, man, this sucks. Yeah, I mean, I don't like to see anybody in pain, and especially when you didn't, you know, you weren't really, you know, proactive in causing it. So, you know, I think she's she's a great girl, and like I said to her then, and I'd say again, you know, that there are great things in line for her, I'm sure. And um, it just, if I were her in that moment, I would have been very confused and hurt as well. So, you know, all I could do is do the best I could to comfort her. And and let her know that I heard, you know, I, I understood how this could be for her, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, when, when we had you on at the beginning of the season after the first episode, once again, I've proven to be wrong. And I think <laughs> I think the, the the one guy after one episode that I was like, I don't know if I'm be able to take this guy all season was Luke. And then you come to the end of the season, and I don't think there was a guy or a girl on this show – that grew more than he did. And I was it was great to see where he was in the beginning to where he got to, the fact that he they got engaged, they seem happy. Um yeah, I couldn't have been more dead wrong uh, about Luke and Iris because if you <laughs> asked me after episode 1, I said they ain't la- they're not going to last. Something's yeah. off here, you know. Well, I I think, you know, in the case of Luke, who I adore, I think he's a great guy. Uh you know, he was going on this kind of having experience of of asking questions he hadn't asked himself before. Everything was very surface up to that point, and then he had to really reflect on who he was being and what he really wanted and and got clearer, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's what I like about this show. As much as we like to see the hookups and the cheating and the drama, um, like I said, if, if all four couples ended up staying together at the end, while it would be considered successful, I don't know how great of television that would make. Um, I, I do like watching growth and I like people either learning from mistakes or seeing and something clicking in them at a bonfire or something you say to them where it's just like, Oh, okay. I get it now. I, I realized something and it was good to see. And I think I definitely saw that from Luke. Iris just seemed like she was waiting for Luke to get to that point And, you know, seemed like she well, finally got lot, it. There was a lot we talked about in the bonfire that you don't see. And, rightfully so because it involved people that weren't didn't choose to be part of the conversation family and other people but you know there were a lot of emotions when when you mentioned certain things about family and life uh and you know with with luke and iris there was a lot that had that didn't have anything to do with luke or iris had to do with the people around luke or iris that they had to kind of resolve a little bit you know you know who are they being for other people as opposed to what they want for themselves and so, um, you know, both Luke and Iris did some work and and really kind of got into it as best they could and, and uh, got to a place where they, they you know, were able to clean up some stuff with the, each other. Yeah, and I think I remember you kind of referencing that at the beginning of the season. You probably didn't know that, I guess, things weren't going to be shown because, yeah, there is something there that we're, as the audience, missed. 
in terms of it. Well, well, not missed. It wasn't shown to us. And for mm-hmm. the reasons that you said, it was probably involving people that had didn't ask to be a part of this. So right. yeah, it's tough to get into detail. You know what it is. And I don't expect you to share it. Well, if it I, wasn't don't know, shown. I don't know everything. All I know is that there were just, you know, feelings that Luke had and Iris had as well that related to their relationship with their parents and other people that had to do with who they were saying they were being, Hmm. you know, that like I always say to people, you think it's about your relationship. You think it's about the other person, but then when you really look at it, it's a, it's much deeper than that. It's about other things and, and, and conversations you've had with yourself and decisions you've made, uh, with yourself about who you think you are. That in fact is not exactly true that in fact, you got to look at, at, uh, at who you're trying to be to please other people as opposed to who you actually are. Hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and a lot happens there when that opens up. You know, when it comes to Luke and Iris, they obviously had, you know, not, neither were involved in much drama throughout the course of the season. It was pretty clear about halfway through that this was going to be, you know, Luke wasn't going to get with anybody. Iris, you know, maybe there was a little interest in, in Deke, but, you kind of saw where this was headed and probably halfway through, you kind of knew that they were going to end up together, whether or not the engagement was going to happen. We didn't know, but I I guess the biggest thing about Luke and Iris is finding out at the reunion that Ash hates Luke. Like that took everybody by off guard. And, you know, and it wasn't just like, yeah, you know, be careful about this guy. I mean, she literally accused the guy of, yeah, I think you're cheating. She just doesn't know about it yet. Like that's a big accusation to throw at somebody. Nobody seems to know why Ash said it. Clearly, she has yeah. feeling towards Luke. I don't know if you can shed any light on this, but... I have no light on it. I okay. was surprised to hear it, too. I was surprised she had even that much of an opinion about Luke at all. Yeah, um, <laughs> we all were. But I'll, I'll, I'll say this about Ash. I think that she was very strongly an ally with the other girls, that she feels safe with the women, and and for uh, you know all sorts of reasons she shared about who hurt her in the past. And so maybe some of her feelings towards Luke were just being protective of iris and stuff that she might have shared yeah and and i want to and i want to say this about ash and i know when i talked about to tommy and jillian last week ash got brought up and um and you know we're going to talk about their relationship um with hanya and and taylor Mm -hmm. and I, I was notified after the podcast last week, hey, be careful on the pronouns for Ash. She likes to be referred to as they, them. So obviously okay. I'm, I'm going to try. I, it's just, you know, when, when you're not used to it, it's just it's very easy to just come out and say, you know, when referring to Ash, say she. I will do my best yeah. and, and to say they, them. So when sure. their relationship, when we talk about their relationship with Hanya later, I'll, I'll be mindful of that. And But Thank just know you. we're not doing it. You know, obviously maliciously, um, but yeah, it was. No, no, you know, I'm 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 an old guy, and I'm I'm grappling with the pronoun thing too. But yeah. what's most important to me is that people get, uh, you know, that we refer to people in the way that they want to be referred to, and you know, I have no attachment to the pronoun if it's if, if if that's what how she sees herself or that's how they see themselves. Yeah, see what I mean? Like then, it's so easy to say know, she, you know? It's, yeah, well, it's just you know, that's just old school. It's it's not meant to be offensive. It's um, for sure. It's it's just me having to grow a little bit myself, but you know, Ash is an incredible person. She, they have had uh, a lot of pain that they shared with me. And, um, and I believe that Ash is really working to become happier. And I've noticed just following her Instagram and stuff 
uh, following their Instagram and stuff. I'm not very good at this. Yeah, no, it's but it's literally it's really hard. I see relationships that they're forming with others, that uh, friendships that they're forming with others that seem to be working. So I, I think that's awesome. Yeah, and we'll get to Hanya and Ash in, in a little bit. I want I want to move on to to Jillian and Edgar, which probably the most polarizing couple of the season. And you know, I, I said when I spoke to Jillian last week and Tommy last week, I told them both the same thing. Uh, there's a good chance I'm going to have Edgar on next week, so I do want to tell it to him to his face and and just be honest with him. Like I don't want to dismiss the guy's feelings whatsoever, but the consensus seems to be. Through people, Jillian thought it, Tommy thought it, social media seemed to think it, that the bonfire clip in the first bonfire for the men, when Edgar saw the comment about the promise ring, that it seemed like he let that derail him probably more than it should have. I mean, you could say that, but, you know, I don't want to discount what it meant to him. Yeah. Because what it feels like to you and me is not what it feels like to the person who's in it. It's very easy for us, for anyone, to to make a call or a judgment that seems legit and commonsensical uh, to any of us who are not in the situation. But when it's about you, it's very difficult because the feelings are your feelings. And they don't need to be logical and they don't need to be supported with fact. They just are what you feel. And if that's how Edgar felt legitimately, then it hurt at that level, even if it wouldn't have hurt you or I at that level, you know? So, yeah. uh, you know, I, to many people, they felt that he may have overreacted or used that as a excuse to act out. But to him, that was a really big deal, or at least from what I could tell. And, you know, I got comments on both sides, I got comments saying that I didn't call Jillian out on stuff that I should have called her out on. But, you know, in the moment, you you do the best you can and and try to I, I do everything I can to try to um, take what I think out of the picture and try to step into what they're feeling and 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 honor it and try to get some perspective from what they've shared even if it doesn't make a lot of sense to me sometimes. The only time that I kind of call it out is when it feels like it's not honest. Yeah. But I didn't get the sense that either of them was being manipulatively dishonest. I just feel like they had a difference of opinions of what was important to them. And, you know, Jillian um, had behavior that she did. She had actions that she did that she didn't think have anything to do, you know, that weren't a big deal, but might have been a big deal to Edgar. Yeah. You know, and, you know, some people called me out for saying, you, you know, you let Edgar get beat up at the reunion, but you never called Jillian out for her behavior with Tommy. So, you know, I'm, I'm not the referee and, and, and I'm also, you know, don't always get it right. But, um, you know, it was, (laughs) I could certainly understand Jillian saying it's not the same thing promise ring and sleeping with one another are two different things at the same time she was all but hooking up with tommy and that was painful too to watch so and i did try to say at one point that you know edgar and marissa did get really intimate they did apparently have sex but that was after a long time of them just being together without that yeah um 
but it's really hard to to say right and wrong in these situations and it's it's a very heady and very emotional uh roller coaster for these people and and their behavior is whatever feels right to them uh, yeah. <laughs> you know even if it, even when it doesn't feel right or justified to us i guess the biggest thing with them and I, I that i had spoken to her last week was they had come in and obviously things can change but they had come in with this pack no sex edgar broke it right. jillian didn't I think Edgar thought that Jillian broke it based on the clips that he was seeing. Um, sure. And and so maybe that led him to, okay, I can get there with Marissa because basically I feel either Jillian has done it with Tommy or is about to. So I feel justified in being able to do this. And then at the end he finds out, no, she didn't. And she's like, you broke our, you know, you broke our trust. You broke our bond. We didn't, we, we agreed that, you know, you can make out and you can kiss and whatever, but no sex. And, she has to watch him do it while she didn't do that. So I guess it is a really tough situation. And like I said, it, it puts your position on this. Like you said, you, you don't like to, you don't like to judge. And it's very hard not to judge in the position that you're in. I would, because us as fans are sitting at home watching and yelling at the TV or screaming at the TV on certain things. And you probably want to, but you know, as a host, obviously you can't do that. You got to be objective and just kind of play it down the middle. Unless you feel like you said, someone is just being yeah. completely disingenuous and lying out of their ass to you and yeah. not being I honest. Mean, I, I do my best to keep it as real as I can. Um, and, but on the other hand, I also really believe that whatever rules you had is kind of hair splitting to me. So, when you say it's okay to do this, but it's not okay to do that, that falls into like the hall pass concept, yeah, which doesn't really add up for me. So while making rules beforehand, you know, if this show and this experience was about running the gauntlet, you know, you're being tempted. Let's see if you can resist temptation and go back and be true with the person you're with. If that's the game, if this were a game, that's not that hard to do. You know, it's not that hard to do, but that's not what this is. This is about people either subconsciously or consciously doing things that they feel they want to do in the moment, even if it wasn't what they agreed with, agreed to at the beginning, because things change. And, you know, it's an exploration. And, you know, sometimes people have behavior that they didn't think they were going to have or have feelings they didn't expect to have that then get, you know, indulged yeah it's when i was watching this season with edgar like he was very you know he was easily the most emotional man out there i think he i think it was safe to say i think edgar cried at least once every episode which is fine (laughs) but he also he's very you know the way he talks seems to be very introspective and he really seems to think about what he's saying he doesn't seem like Lascelles is a very fast talker. Uh, Edgar couldn't have been more opposite. Edgar literally was pulling teeth to get him to to talk a certain and spit things out. But he's very he was very um, what's the word I'm looking for when he spoke? Uh, I, I guess he he put a lot of thought into his words when he spoke and talked about his feelings a lot when he did. Right. And you know I commend him for that. And I think that there's a part of him that. You know, when he sat there, I think it was that one confessional where he was by himself and he just said, I think it was the clip that was shown to Jillian at one of the bonfires was, why'd you bring me here? 
Um, or he yeah. was, he was mad at her for being there. Um, and yeah. I don't want to do like that almost hurt me as a viewer to watch him because I felt like this guy felt like he was betrayed and I didn't look at, I didn't see Jillian as someone who used him on this show. I, I do think that they weren't going to last in the long term because of the issues they had before they went on the show of a year into their relationship, someone cheated. And then for two years after it was still being brought up and constantly being uh, mentioned, but I didn't feel like Jillian manipulated him at all to get him on the show. Clearly it's both their, um, nobody forces you on the show. They don't, the casting department of the show doesn't throw you in a truck and all of a sudden you're on a plane to Hawaii. You have to agree to do this. So, I mean, he definitely had a part in it, but when you heard that, when you saw that clip of him basically mad at Jillian for bringing him on, I don't know what went through your mind. I, you know, I can't say that I had a, a huge uh, reaction to that. I, I think what often happens on the show is that an underestimation of how, how deep the experience is. Yeah. So where in this case, maybe Jillian says, wouldn't this be a good idea? And Edgar goes, okay, I'm in, we'll try it. That's from a place of before you're there. Then when you get there and you realize what's going on and your feelings are stirred up and you got to remember that when you're in it, there's nothing else going on. So all you can do is sit and think about yourself and the other person and all the stuff that's happening. It gets very dramatic. So in that moment, it makes sense to me that you would then have some regret or blame, which is an easy place for us to go. Um, and it also makes sense to me that people would agree to go and then realize this is probably not the best idea because what has you agree to go in the first place may not be what ends up happening when you're there. You know, you think it's going to be a cruise or it's going to be cool and, you know, it'll be flirty, but I'll be good. And then we'll all get back together and we'll be on TV. It, it just it just never really seems to work out like that. You know, it become it usually takes a turn to a much deeper place. And then you look back and go, what did I do? Why? Why am I here? Yeah. You know, and for some people, it's really enlightening. And for some people, it's, it's torturous. So I want to move on to the final couple, Anya and Ash, who we brought up briefly yeah. earlier. And, you know, I mean, it really seemed like the Anya engagement or, you know, the proposal at the end was really a Hail Mary on his part. I don't even know if he really believed that she would ever accept it. Um, I think he believed in his mind that's what he thought he either needed to do or wanted to do. But, again, it w- it, it seemed out of left field, um, even though we, we knew it was coming because on the last date he bought a ring. But sure. when she said no, when they said no, um, literally two seconds after they said no, Hanya seemed to be cool with it. It's not like he was like, wait, what? No, no way. Like you really don't like he knew it was almost like he knew she was going to say he, they were going to say no. My God, this is, I think sometimes people do things uh, that are motivated by what people might think of them. So him offering a ring and wanting to get married is a way of letting us know um, that he's, had a change of heart and sees things differently. I don't know that in particularly he was ready to get married. Yeah. I think in the moment it felt like something he could do. That was a bold move that would bring some reaction. And I don't think that it was disingenuous, but in heart of hearts, 
I think there could have even been some relief that they didn't get engaged. I didn't see that as being a possibility that was really going to work for either of them at that point, you know? Yeah. Um, but I understand wanting to come back to the bonfire with a bold declaration. I understand him really, you know, concerned about losing her and thinking this might be the thing to keep her. And I, you know, I haven't been through a breakup myself back when I was very young, you know, you find yourself almost, um, you know, you're doing stuff scrambling as fast as you can to, to keep what you thought you had. And in hindsight, you look back and go, you know, maybe it was best right then to just let it be and take the hit or, or, or move on or, or, or don't do anything. And I, I think that move by Hanya was really about wanting to, you know, look a certain way in the eyes and, and, and in some ways an apology to Ash. Yeah. So that Ash would see a very dramatic and unpredictable response of, that would speak to his perceived growth. Um, yet to me, it seemed a little, um, you know, doing it for reaction as opposed to really motivated because this is what you've come to believe. And, you know, you, you talk about it and I mentioned it earlier about it's good to see, it's good to see growth on this show. And I think it was when Hanya saw Ash have sex with Taylor for the first time is when his narrative on this show changed of, Mm -hmm. Oh wow. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, it took seeing that, for him to be like, oh crap, I've really screwed up in the things that I've did and the, the booty calls that I've had and the way I've talked to women, the way I've spoken to Ash, I need to change things. And, you know, for the last half of the season, he was all about Ash, which is fine. Right. And like right. I said, I, I love seeing growth on this show. And then on the reunion show, he was saying the same things. I asked Jillian this, I asked Tommy this, they seem to believe him. I want to believe the guy because he said a lot of the things that I felt needed to be said for a guy that wanted a th- you know wanted to be in an open relationship openly was cheating on ash at one point in their relationship mm-hmm. uh, apparently didn't talk to her well uh as as a woman and i think that he said all the right things my question is you know i want to believe him but it, at this point it's just words so i guess we don't really have an answer did you do well, you believe hanya to be sincere when he was saying those things on the reunion show i believe hanya was I believe that he thought he was being sincere. Again, I don't think this is a kind of covert and uh, and conscious um, manipulation. I think that um, Hanya learned some really dark things about himself that all of us have to see it sometimes. Where he, the way he was with women was not really honoring women, and that and then then I think he took on a little bit that he's a bad person behind his behavior, which I don't agree with either. I think that, that he just had to, to learn some stuff. So I think he really was grappling with not being proud of who he had been as it relates to women and what he was trying to compartmentalize as okay behavior. Like when he was saying, let's have an open relationship because this is what up. I think he then had a, a real epiphany about, how 
men treat women and himself in particular. Yeah. What I didn't like when I spoke to him on and off camera was him thinking he was, you know, basically saying all men are pigs. And I got what he was saying about that, you know, that there is a, a tendency for a lot of men to be like he was and do things that they think are, is okay. And in fact is, is really kind of, um, manipulative and, and not emotionally intelligent. So I appreciate the fact that he sees that and doesn't want to be that anymore. And so I think that really was the lesson for Hanya is that, um, his relationship with women had to be redefined. Yeah. And what he, what he was able to get away with in the past by being charming and being articulate. Um, he then was, to me, it was like he was calling bullshit on himself, which I really appreciated. Yeah. And then I think he's got to grapple with a little bit of forgiving himself too. And then just being different in the future. It's like, it's like, I always say, it's sort of like this carbon footprint thing. It's like, for instance, like in, for an analogy purposes, you say you, you're going to go eat a cheeseburger. And so you say before you eat it, this is really bad for me. This is really bad. I shouldn't be eating this. And then you eat it. But it's almost like having said that, your carbon footprint, footprint becomes zero because you acknowledge that it was bad behavior, but you're doing it anyway. And that just isn't it. So, you know, I, I, I think that, yeah. So maybe in the past he was not the most respectful and most um, – you know, enlightened partner for women and that he has some behavior and some actions that he's not proud of. And that doesn't make him a bad guy today. That just makes him a guy who had to learn some stuff. And I think when it comes to Ash and Taylor, you know, I don't know what was going to happen between them post-show. The big thing at the reunion was he gave her a fake number and, mm -hmm. you know, he got called out for that. It does seem mm -hmm. like, what's the point? Why not just tell her like, hey, I had fun on the island, but and tell them, hey, I have nothing. I had fun on the island, but there's nothing there post-show. I just want to go my separate way rather right. than just seem to puss out and give a fake number. I don't know. Right. Uh, that that seems to be the consensus on Taylor. I don't know you know, just enough about this guy, but uh, Tommy seemed to think he was a good guy. The, the other single guys seemed to like him, think he was cool. So I don't know if he just didn't know how to act. Again, another guy that didn't know what to say in the moment. And so instead of being honest and telling the truth, he just gave her a fake number, and that was his way of dealing with things. I don't know. Uh, I really can't speak to that. I, <laughs> I uh, don't, don't get as much time with the singles as I'd like, and everybody I meet I really like because my relationship with them is not triggered. Um, I did, you know, like everybody else, a fake number just doesn't ever seem like a, the right idea, you know? Yeah. Um, and I don't know the whole story on that. Um, and it was disappointing to hear. Um, that said, even if his intentions were only to hook up for the island, um, it did in some ways give Ash some, you know, self-worth. You know, she was uh, they were being adored by this guy. Um, and, you know, physically making Ash feel attractive and wanted and listened to and all those things that whether that relationship continues or not, that's still a value. And, um, and I think it served her served them. Yeah. <laughs> I keep blowing it on the, uh, yeah, no, the I know. my heart's in the right place. Yeah. So, um, you know, so 
while the outcome wasn't what I had hoped for, uh, anybody would hope for, nobody wants a fake number and get ghosted or whatever. Um, I still have to look at who they were for each other during that time. And, and, you know, they were both adults enjoying each other physically and enjoying each other emotionally. And there was a takeaway for both of them that informed them and, and hopefully will give them some perspective that's positive. And I think we heard some of it at the bonfire. Ash never went into too much detail in regards to it, but it certainly seems like they have been through the ringer in past relationships, not just with Hanya, but with other men. They just have not been treated well. And to have it happen, I guess essentially you could say, while they were with Taylor on the island, they were enjoying themselves. But it seems like, again, post-show, she got treated poor. They got treated poorly by a man, and it just you know really hurt them. And they are at a point now where almost like you said, they, from this experience, they built up their self-worth. And they now know, you told, her numerous, you told them numerous times, hey, you're, it's, it's not your fault. And it, it, it wasn't her fault. Whatever happened, whatever happened in the past was not their fault. And right. I hope they understand that now. You know, I, I hope they got that. And it, and it really sunk in with them. I, I like to think that the love that they received on the reunion and since then from others who listened to what Ash had to say and saw Ash as a strong human being is the takeaway that they'll remember. Yeah. And, and that, you know, I think I said this on season one, but I say it all the time, you know, whatever experience you're having, you know, if you think this is going to be an outcome where you have this experience and you think, and then this is going to be my next relationship. And it turns out not to be that that's really okay. Because it's what you learn that you take into your next relationship, wherever that shows up. And we see it happen over and over again. Singles meeting other singles. And then they, you know, their next relationship turns out to be a really, really strong one uh, post-Temptation Island. So, you know, I'm not really concerned about whether Ash and Taylor were an item or I'm not tallying, you know, what couples stayed together or found love and then moved on because it's still fluid. What I like is that whatever reflection they had, whatever insights they had might inform a healthier relationship down the line at some point, usually sooner rather than later. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think it's, I think it really shouldn't matter what the tally is at the end of the season, even though I've kept track in my head and I can tell you the tally on the four seasons, but it doesn't matter in the end. Really. It doesn't. It's, it's all about growth. And what do you learn? I just, I don't want anyone to go on this show and ever to come off with that was I wasted my time there for 30 days. I, I, I hope somebody took something out of whether they learned something about themselves, their partner, um, their past, how to, you know, just look, even if the, even if their answer is it was a waste of time. So they learned something because they made the choice to go thinking it wasn't a waste of time. And then if it was a waste of their time, then in the future, they're going to make different choices. So there's always a takeaway that's empowering. This is the thing I I try to stress in life is that 
in every situation, it's our relationship to the situation that matters. It's not like we're a passive passenger in life and shit happens to us and that's just what it is. It's it's our relationship. Does it trigger us or not? What's my choice in this? Is it empowering or disempowering? Did I play the role of victim here or is there some way that this actually informs me in a positive way? And so all of that is within our own possibility. You know, it's within our own possibility and that what we say is true about the situation. You know, so even if they say this was a stupid idea and I shouldn't have been there. Well, okay, that's something you've learned and that's a positive. Yeah. So you could say, I'm so happy I went to learn that this is not for me. Yeah. Well, yeah, very, very well said. I mean, look, I, I've enjoyed all four seasons. I can't even rank them in terms of which one I liked better than others. I mean, I, I just enjoy watching whatever the outcome is, and I just enjoy watching other people's relationships and seeing how they act in them, how they react to them, if they've learned something, if they grow. That's all you know. I'm looking for when I when I watch this. If they end up you know engaged in the end, like Julian and Kristen and and Luke and Iris, great. Um, if they break up, great. I hope they learn something. And you know, someone like Lascelles that we're a lot of people are still sitting here confused on why this guy says and does the things that he does. I just hope this guy's better in the future with uh, relationships. That's all we can really do. Sitting from, know, sitting from afar. The truth is, whether, you know, better or worse, I, the, the, again, I stay away from good and bad, but the truth is, LaSalle's is who he is today, which is not who he was yesterday, nor is it who he's going to be tomorrow. And there is someone for LaSalle's exactly where he is today, right? And it may not have been Ashley or may no longer be Ashley, but that doesn't mean, you know, look at season three, Kendall. I mean, everybody that I spoke to was like, this guy, this guy, this guy. But I didn't feel that way. I'm like, Kendall's doing Kendall. And guess what? Kendall appears, at least from what I can see on Instagram, to be in a relationship and happy. So, you know, that's what makes relationships so difficult to get your head around is that we have to divorce ourselves. I hate to use that pun, but to divorce ourselves from any preconceived notion of what a relationship is. Because the point of relationship is for it to be something that supports us and gives us purpose, right? And that can look like whatever it looks like for each individual. That's why I don't judge somebody who wants to have an open life, uh, open relationship. If that's working for you, even though it wouldn't work for me, okay, do your thing. You know, go do you. But even in the cases where you think that the person has no possible redeeming qualities or, or is not anywhere near possible of having a healthy relationship that's been proven wrong over and over again you know their relationship is defined by the individuals in it and doesn't have to conform to anybody else's relationship totally agree uh, very well said and and I, w- I also wanted to point out one thing that you do on the show that i think is great and you know it, it may seem simple but at the bonfires, when we, you know, you show the clips, whether it's something really revealing or really scandalous or whatever, you know, I think it's it's really cool of you to sit there and say, "Tell me what you feel. What you know? What you see? Tell me what you feel." And I don't think a lot of people really look into that. I I kind of do, and I think it's just maybe because of the way that I watch the show. I probably watch it differently than other people. 
But mm-hmm. I think that's a great way. I just want to compliment you on that. I think it's a great way to Thank handle you. someone who watches a clip as opposed to saying, you know, asking some sort of leading question. You're not asking well, anything. Just tell me how you say, feel by watching that. Period. You could say, well, that's got to hurt. Yeah. I mean, you're not, but that would be judgment almost. And you don't want to do that. I, there's a reason why I, I say it the way I say it is because, and over the years, the, the verbiage has changed a little bit on the show. I, there was a time when I used to say, these clips are out of context. What happens before it and what happens after it, you know, this may not be what you think it is, but let's take a look. What I think the clips are for is to elicit an emotion. Yeah. Now, from a TV standpoint, it's always going to be the worst case scenario. It's never going to be pretty, right? Yeah. But the reason I say, what did you see, is that more times than not, what they see and what I see are entirely different because I don't have a, I'm not anchored to this. There's no pain in it for me other than empathy or how I would feel if it were me. But what's, what's interesting to me and proves to be interesting every single time is I say, what did you see? And then what I hear back from them is a story that's real for them about what they just saw, which again is an out of context clip that could be just drunken play or it could be something far more meaningful but the reason i asked what did you see is that that leads me to a conversation where i can really get um from the person what is their belief system around themselves because it's like this somebody says something and i say what did you see and they say what i saw was that he really hates everything about me but what he said was Sometimes she does this, right? So in the answer is you projecting on it all of the things you think it means. And the fact is you could be right, you could be wrong. It really doesn't matter. But the place for us to talk about is how are you processing it? What does it mean to you? And how does that then dictate how you are in a relationship? Because the more centered and, and accepting of yourself the less triggered you are by other people's behavior you know so that's why i always ask what did you see because i'd like to hear it because it's different we can watch the same clip and see different things and i think the biggest what did you see moment this season on the bonfire and the clips was was edgar's and that first one because when you said what did you see and he you know immediately went into an emotional I don't want to say it wasn't an emotional breakdown, but got very emotional and got to that point of basically, I can't believe she said this about this promise ring that meant so much to him. Mm-hmm. I bet you, you, I mean, I'm not going to answer for you, but I, I'm, I'm guessing you probably didn't think that that was the answer you were going to get from Edgar when he saw that clip. I don't know. Well, I, I don't know that I had any preconceived notion about it, but, but it's an interesting point because it's a fine line to walk because what I don't want to do is completely take, anything out of the moment by saying Edgar she could have just been drunk and just flirting yeah (laughs) he may have said he may have said hey what's this ring and then she's jokingly saying well now that I'm supposedly single maybe I should take it off which is exactly what I heard yeah I don't think I don't think she was diminishing at all what what Edgar thought that ring meant but that doesn't matter what it matters is what it felt like to Edgar what it gave Edgar room to interpret and then behave behind and i could drive that bus harder and say edgar that's not what i saw at all 
but that's not my role. You know, I could I I could have like everybody else said, Edgar, you're overreacting. Now, sometimes I say it, do you think you're overreacting? Could it be something else? But it's much better in a question than me just saying Yeah. Because by doing that, even if we think Edgar's reaction to that ring line was overreactive and self absorbed and immature or whatever we want to call it, as soon as we say that to him, we then negate what was true for him. Yeah. And that's not really fair to him. Right? We yeah. then negate the feeling he just expressed. I ask him how he feels. He says this, and if I were to say, oh, Edgar, that's not what we saw. Now, if Edgar said something that felt disingenuous or was manipulative or I felt like just he was skirting around the issue, I might then redirect and say, is that really how you feel? I mean, I'm not sure I saw the same thing. And I've done that before. I've been hard with people in the past. But what... What's interesting about the concept of showing clips is that, and I said this back in 2001 when we did the show, it's not what actually happened in the clip. I said to one guy, this was in season two of the original. Mm. I said, what do, you, what do you think about that clip? He says, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to make me cry, Mark, and I don't cry. That's just a clip. It may not have happened. It's just what it is, and, and I'm not going to go there. And I said, I know you're right about that, but I think there's a lot of answers here. If you don't feel anything, that's an answer. And if you feel a lot of something, that's an answer. Not about what happened, because this is not, this isn't a court show. It's about how you feel about your relationship and what you need to learn about your relationship. So if even if what you're looking at isn't a factual representation of the moment, it does elicit an emotional response. And that's what I prefer us to look at. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping, I mean, I, I, I've messaged with Edgar. Um, he's out of town at the beginning of this week. I'm out of town at the end of this week. So it looks like uh, we're going to get together next week, but I'm, I'm really interested in talking to him. He's one of the, one of the more introspective guys I think we've ever had on this show to where he really yeah, put a I, lot I of thought into what he said. Like, I agree. The only thing I'd say about Edgar and Jillian that's really was difficult for me the whole season and for a lot of people is that they're just very, very young. Yeah. And that was the whole thing I said on the reunion about first love. And it, at the end of it, it kind of comes around where I say, you know, at least honor each other because you've been for one another. But before that, I asked everybody on the panel, everybody in the, in the studio, I said, how many of you are with, your first love and no one raised their hand yeah. myself included yeah it just and the point is and i said but how many of you remember every detail about your first love and they all did i said and so that's what's important here is to realize that at 21 and 23 and first loves are very emotional and very charged and very important and as you live longer, that definition of love changes, but that first love never really leaves you and it informs you all along. And that's what we need to be grateful for, for whether sure. it lasts or not, that it was there and that place, you will always be that for one another. Oh, for sure. And I think that and that's that, what I kind of wanted to leave them with, because the truth is it just started spinning around, blaming Edgar, Edgar saying, I'm sorry, Jillian being upset and everybody uh, defending this one or defending that one. I basically at the end of the day just said, look, you know, you guys are you know, very young and at the very beginning of emotional journeys as far as relationships go. And 
you know, suffice it to say that there's a lot to still deal with, but who you are for one another and who you have been for one another will always be there. And if you can find a warm and tender and loving place to be grateful for the what you've provided for one another, then that's probably the healthiest way to 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 put that. Yeah, no, I agree. And like I said, I'm looking forward to hopefully talking to him next week. Uh, yeah. I just I just want to wrap up here with one last thing. Uh, you've been talking about it on social media. So I wanted to get an update on things. You are going to be starting a podcast soon, but you haven't given any details about, you know, when, or I don't know if you even know when yet, but is this going to be an, an interview type podcast? Are you is it going to be temptation Island focused, like talking to past couples and bringing couples on, or is it just going to be more of a, you, you know, spouting your wise wisdom that you definitely have that, (laughs) That uh, that people love listening to you to talk about things. Is is it going to be an interview format, a guest every week, or are you just kind of you don't know yet? I th- no, I I know, but I think it's going to be all of the above. Okay. I think what I think, you know, one of the things I find interesting is that depending on the show I've done in my life in my career, that's the version of me you get. So if you watch one of my game shows, you're like, oh, that guy's a comedian, <laughs> or you watch Temptation Island, and you're like, oh, that guy's always very very serious. And it's all about emotions, right? Yeah. And it, it, it's all different. So what I'm looking forward to is continuing the conversation about the things that turn me on, which is authenticity and, and, and introspection and, and the things that people have responded to. I, I always, I, I've been saying to my daughter and my wife, I don't know that I had any burning desire to do a podcast, but I seem to be getting called to do it where people keep saying, we need to hear more. We want to hear more. And I'm really grateful for that. So, I think it's going to be a mixture of guests and sometimes me just ranting and sometimes me just doing funny stuff. But um, it's just going to be, you know, a more, more of me breathed out, being able to talk about the stuff we all love and that we all relate to and, and, uh, and finding a voice there. I'm in the process of trying to make a deal with some partners to do this podcast. So I'm kind of being tight-lipped about what form and where and how we're going to do it. I'm hoping to be up and running um and posting these things by july 1st hopefully oh, okay nice i'm trying to get it going but uh you know i should just grab a mic and do like you do and then <laughs> i'd be up and running but I, I haven't seemed to pull that off so i'm in i'm in the process of working it out and and i think it's going to be really fluid I, I see myself taking some questions off of twitter and other places that people have asked me and kind of bouncing off of that I, i'd like to involve people that are close to me like my wife and my daughter and other people that um would be fun to talk to and and a lot of guests you know certainly people from the show people outside of the show and just you know whoever you know, it doesn't matter to me they don't have to be celebrities it's just just somebody to talk to <laughs> you know so oh, that's uh, great i know that's not a very good pitch but that's kind of what we're going to do is going to just be me doing me and hopefully people want to do it with me no that's good and i'm glad uh, you know we're probably about a, r- roughly around a month away uh yeah if you can get it going on know, july for sure. july 1st and obviously we'll be We'll be following. So, Mark, again, thank you. Thank you for another great season. Um, We hope that uh, we'll be back for a season five. Um, Let's keep our fingers crossed that that happens. And uh, yes, me too. Fingers crossed. Yeah. And if not, I'll be around. I just we don't know in what form. That just means (laughs) if 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 for whatever reason there's not a season five, all it means is the moment of truth needs to come back. That's all. Well. (laughs) <laughs> my phone line is open if they call we'll figure it out <laughs> all right buddy thank you so much for coming on all right nice to talk to you steve take Th- care thanks bye bye 
thank you so much to Mark uh, for coming on, talking. Um, I'm very much looking forward to his podcast because I can listen to that guy spout off the knowledge and the insight that he has all day long. So, hey, I'm good. Like, bring on his podcast. I can't wait uh, to listen to it, especially if he talks to former contestants, ones that I was like, oh, where have they been? And stuff like that. Uh, but even just him answering relationship questions, life questions, he, he really seems to have his finger on the pulse and can't wait to hear it. So look for that coming uh, in July. Anyway, thank you very much uh, to all those who tuned in. This is a long one, uh, almost um, about 45 minutes with Steven and almost an hour with Mark. So I uh, appreciate you all listening. Uh, please rate, subscribe, and review an Apple podcast. Much appreciated. As I mentioned at the beginning, um. I'll probably go live at some point during my fan appreciation party Friday night, which would be around and the party starts at eight Pacific time. So it'll be late on the East coast by the time I go live, but maybe during the raffle I'll go live. I'll have my niece record the party going on and whatnot. And you can see, and I can tell you right now, there's going to be a party next year, uh, right around the same time, barring any, you know, major pandemic in this country. Um, so yeah, if you're interested, um, you, know, you can get the ball rolling on that and you can email me and say, I'm interested for next year's already. So looking forward to seeing everybody who is coming uh, to the party tomorrow night. And like I said, yeah, I'll go live at some point, maybe for a little bit. If not, I'll be posting pictures or doing Instagram stories of it. So you can check it out. Anyway, for Stephen Fishback, Mark Wahlberg, I'm Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. And we'll be back next week with podcast number 290. Talk to you then.